Hey everybody, welcome to the Honor of Kings podcast. I'm Lee, uh, I got my best brother Roberto with me today. Roberto, how you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well? Happy to be here. Awesome. Okay, so for those of you that have just found us and uh, want to know what this podcast is going to be about, this is a Bible study podcast, uh, primarily prophetic Bible study. And so we understand that in order to be a true saint, you need to be in the Word and the Spirit. But we also want to point out that we are not teachers. I'm not a teacher. Roberto's not a teacher. Um, your favorite YouTube man isn't a preacher or a teacher, and neither is your pastor. And I know I probably just blew a lot of hair back with that one, but your pastor is not your teacher. Uh, he's your guide, and he's leading you to truth uh, through the lessons that he's, he's putting forth through the Scripture. And the Holy Spirit inside you is interpreting the truth of those Scriptures and teaching you. So we want to make sure that anything that we say today, um, that you don't just take our word for it. This is about encouraging you, the follower of Jesus, to get into your Bible and to study. Yes. Um, it, it's critically important that every saint understands Scripture. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of what I always think about when it comes to this, is Jesus. When he was approaching Jerusalem and he overlooked the city and he wept. Hmm. And... He said that he wasn't weeping for himself because he knew what was coming. He was weeping for the people and why. For they know not the time of their visitation. And so what does that mean? That means they didn't know their prophecy. Right. They, they were expecting the conquering king, but because they didn't understand their prophecy, they didn't realize they were getting the suffering servant first. Right. The conquering king would come at the end of time. And so... We want to give people the tools to look into their Bible and understand how to read it. Um, so all we're doing is trying to guide you a little bit. Today's episode will be about unlocking Revelation. We're going to primarily focus on chapters 4 and 5 to give you a baseline. Once you understand what's going on in chapters 4 and 5, you can understand what's going on in the majority of Revelation. Um, it doesn't mean that you can just read every verse and understand it straight up. It takes practice. You know, the, as, as the saying goes, you know, Jesus meets you where you are. Yep. Um, Jesus also being the word made flesh tells us that the Bible meets you where you are. Uh, we're, we're told in, in scripture that for new saints, you require milk. And as you mature in the faith, you know, you start becoming ready for solid food and stuff. So if you happen to be a new believer, <clears throat> um, and some of this isn't really making a lot of sense, you know, be patient and keep digging into the Word because the more mature of a Christian you are, the more mature you are in reading your Bible, the more that you will be giving, uh, given to, to them that have more will be given, right? Amen. And so don't be discouraged if some of this is, is hard to understand at first and, um, you know, just, just stick with it. I would be remiss before we start. There's a super special brother out there that I have to thank that is, you know, part of why we're doing this. Uh, and that's Troy. We love you, Troy. Wish you were here, buddy. Uh, Troy and I worked together, and he had been pushing me to do something like this um, based on our conversations. Roberto has as well, uh, but this kind of got spurred on because of, of Troy pushing, 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 like on a daily basis. And so one day, um, I, would, I just played around with it, and I'm like, okay, well, if we were going to do this, what would we call it? 
And he came up with a couple names, and something popped into my head, and it was the honor of kings. And so for those of you uh, that know your scripture, uh, honor of kings comes from Proverbs 25.2. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but it's the honor of kings to search out a matter. Uh, we're told right in scripture that it's it's for us to seek these things out. And, you know, God has hidden so much in this Bible for us, uh, so much. And as much as I feel like I've learned in here, I, I bet you I I could spend a thousand lifetimes and not learn everything that's in this book. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, so Troy was out there and he was pushing and um, I sent that to him. And then I, I went on Amazon and I wanted to buy a book from an author that I like, right? And when I went to check out, it says customers also bought these and they had like a, you know, a three pack and it was a really good deal and they were all by the same author. So I'm like, oh, why not? I'm actually getting one of the books free by buying it in this bundle. So I bought it. Didn't even really look at the other two books. I just knew who they were from. And uh, I get the I get the books in, open the package and right on the cover of one of the books that I didn't wasn't even looking for is Proverbs 25 two. The verse is right there. And then a few weeks later is my birthday, and I'd given my wife a whole bunch of wish list books and stuff that I'd like to get. And she just randomly picked one, uh, opened it up on my birthday on the very first page, Proverbs 25.2. So all of a sudden I realized that Troy was there as an instrument um, to push this along. And I can tell you right now, I am not a media creator. I guess technically now I am because we're doing this, but never done this. Roberto's never done this. Um, I'm not a very good you know, speaker when it comes to things like this. And this is going to be one of the most unvarnished, unpolished, <laughs> poorly produced podcast you will ever listen to. However, um, our goal here is to put some meat on your plate. Our, here, our purpose here is to provide a ministry for people and we hope that um, even just one person gets something out of this, but hopefully everybody does. Um, and with that, I'll just say one more time, thanks again, Troy. Um, we love you. We wish you were here, um, but we will make sure that you are the first subscriber. And to my wonderful wife, Abby, thank you for your patience, Mama. Thank you for uh, letting me come up here and spend all these hours studying. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're a big part of this too. So love you, <coughs> excuse me, love you, mother. Thank you very much. Roberto, should we dive into Revelation? Let's go. You ready to rock? Let's rock. Long awaited. Okay, so what we're going to do today, everybody, is we are going to cherry pick a few verses out of Revelation 1, but then we're going to transition into Revelations chapters 4 and 5 before proceeding into the first four horsemen of Revelation 6. Okay. So in Revelation 1-4, we see John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come. That is a very important verse. Um, which was, which uh which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, uh, who are the seven spirits that are before his throne? Well, Roberto, all we have to do is look at Isaiah 11.2. Isaiah 11.2. And the spirit of the Lord, one, shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom, that's two, uh, and understanding, that's three, the spirit of counsel, that's four, and might, that's five, the spirit of knowledge, six, 
and the fear of the Lord. So there you have in Isaiah 11 to the seven spirits that are discussed in Revelation 1, 4. That's so awesome. <clears throat> now we're going to jump down and we're going to see a familiar theme from what we just saw in 1, 4. But in 1, 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. <clears throat> you will notice in in Revelation, you will see this a whole bunch of times, and there's a reason for it. We know, we know that God is all time. Jesus is, you know, never ending. No beginning, no ending. He's always existed, right? We know that, but He keeps pointing it out. Any time you're in prophetic scripture or any other scripture, if there, this is called the law of special mention. If you're going to repeat something multiple times in a short space. The Bible's telling you, pay attention to this. This means something. Just like if you're reading a genealogy um, and there's a woman's name in it, for instance. Typically, you'd only get patriarchs in a gene genealogy. But as soon as you see a woman's name, alarm bells should be going off. Right. There's a special mention here. Why do I need to know this person? Okay? So, then in verse uh, Revelation verse nine, uh, 119... Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Again, that was, that is, and is to come. Write the things you have seen, which are, and the things that shall be after. Before, present, and ending. This is a common theme, very important for later. Revelation one ten. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Um, the Lord's day, that would be the Sabbath. Also very important. So we're, we're, all these little things that I'm laying out are going to be used when we go into chapters 4 and 5. Revelation one thirteen, and in the midst, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Do you know what the paps are, Roberto? This is a weird one. It'll, it'll, in other translations, it'll tell you directly, but yeah. we're in the King James here. Oh, go ahead, go ahead and tell me where, where are the paps. Okay, the paps in the King James would be your chest. So he has a golden girdle around his chest. Now, we're looking at seven candlesticks and we're looking at a girdle a garment down to his feet and a girl this is telling us a ton of information right now this is locating us this is giving us uh the context to what's going on so we are going to jump over to exodus 25 8 to understand what's going on here and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work uh, shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, Three branches of the candlestick out of one side and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. And he put the table in the tent. Oh, this is Exodus 40, 22. And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle northward without the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it therefore uh, before the Lord 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the candlestick in the tent of congregation over against the table on, on the side of the tam tabernacle southward. Um, so what we have going on here is we are in the holy place of the tabernacle. Okay, so the candlesticks in Exodus, God has given them instructions on how to set up his most holy place where the ark is, and he's setting up the tabernacle with his other furniture. So when we read in Revelation 1 where he's standing by the candlesticks, we know now that he is standing in the, the holy place of the sanctuary. Let me see here. Da, 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 da. Now the girdle. The girdle is about the paps. It's about the chest. Exodus 28, 40, God gives instructions here. So, and for Aaron's sons, thou shalt make coats, and thou shalt make them girdles and bonnets, and thou shalt make for them for the glory and for beauty, and thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and thou shalt anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them, that they may, and this is the important part, minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins, even unto the thighs shall they reach. And they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come in, when they come in unto the tabernacle of the congregation or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place. The holy place. That they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever unto him and his seed. So... We are now located in this prophetic vision. We're located in the holy place of God's tabernacle. And Jesus has appeared to us in priestly garments. He is our high priest. He has the, the girdle up over his chest. He has the long garments. Man, what an awesome vision. Right, right. But this also, this tells us something. It'd be really easy to run past this. But this tells us something. He's our priest. This means he has already taken the cross at Calvary and he is already resurrected. He is, at that moment, our high priest. Our high priest. Right? That's a, that's a time locator. We have a physical location for this vision and now we have a time for this vision. This is after Jesus has taken the cross. The one that was... The one that is and the one that is to come, okay? So now we're going to jump into, we, we took a couple of those little nuggets and added them in the mix. Now we're going to jump into Revelation 4.1. Is everything, am I flowing okay? Am yeah, I, for me it is. Okay. Yeah. And Revelation 4.1. And after this, this is after what? We just went, we had Revelations 2 and 3. Chapters 2 and 3, now we're in 4. It says, after this. Is this after what he said about the churches? No. This correlates right back to his vision of seeing Jesus as a priest in Revelation 1. After this, it goes from Revelation 1 to Revelation 4 here. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show ye things that must be hereafter. So he saw Jesus. Now he's now he's in the holy place with right. Jesus. <clears throat> um, 
That, and that is a continuation. Now, something that's that's interesting, but I can't, I haven't been able to, I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe somebody else figure this out. Revelation 10, 12. This is stuck with me and stuck with me and stuck with me. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. Now, I know, and we're going get to get to this in uh, our next study, which will be, uh, Zechariah and his eight visions. I can answer Revelation ten twelve, but that language come up hither that we get back in uh, John that get in Revelation one. I can't put those two together and understand them how they work. Lee, you said Re- Revelation ten twelve, correct? Yeah. <clears throat> you know that looks like a that looks like a typo. That might yeah. be eleven. Look at 11. eleven twelve. Okay. Look at eleven All right. twelve. All right. So 11, 11, 12, and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come, come hither. And they ascended up to the heaven, up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. Mm. Now, again, not contact creators. I've spent a lot of time on these notes, everybody. And I apologize because sometimes I have typos. Um, so it is a lot a revelation eleven twelve, but come up hither. Somehow that connects with him telling John to come up hither, but I haven't been able to, to make that one yet. Any of you out there come up with something, give you know, shoot me a message and let me know. Um, Revelation eleven ten, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were of the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. That that's just a continuation out of these. Um, so Revelation, Revelation four four, and re- this is where stuff gets really good. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So who are the twenty four elders? They have upon their heads crowns of gold. The crown in this particular situation would be the Greek word Stephanos. This is not a ruler's crown. This is not a king's crown. This is a victor's crown. This is this is one of those wreaths that the runners would get for finishing the race. Okay. What does Paul always tell us? It's Finish about the finishing race. the yeah. race. These were victorious these were victorious in Christ. So who are the 24 elders? I propose to you they are men. These are, these are saints. So let's look at Matthew 27.50 through, looks like, uh, 53. Matthew 27.50 through verse what? 53. You want to read down? Yeah, I'll, I'll read it. <clears throat> Jesus when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the, the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were open, and the bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after this, after his resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared to many. So I propose to everybody, we, there's a, I'll just say it for what it is. There's a Jesuit theology out there that says 
that Aunt Millie and Grandpa and your dad and are in heaven. But that's not Bible. That simply is not Bible. Abraham's bosom, correct? Yeah. Well, and then there are some people that'll, that'll argue that too. But what we do know is you sleep. But what we know for absolute positive fact, Jesus showed us the model of how it has to be for us to be in heaven. And we have to, we have to die, enter sleep, and then be bodily resurrected and then ascend in a bodily resurrection. So for all these, all these people whose bodies are in the graves, they, they are at, at sleep. They're in a state of sleep. When this happened with Jesus, he went down to Sheol, Abraham's bosom, for three days. And he went down there and he, you know, had to say what he had to say to people or whatever. Then he resurrected bodily. Then he ascended. So there's only, based on this verse, there's only 24 actual people that have made it to heaven so far. And that would probably be these people that were resurrected. They were bodily resurrected when Christ died. When the, when the veil was torn, they came out of their graves. They were witnessed and they were seen by people in the body. Now, some argument can be made because, you know, when at the transfiguration, you know, so they, they might be there, Moses might be there. Right. Perhaps we're not told in scripture that his body resurrected somewhere. I don't know. But so I'm telling I'm saying that the twenty four elders are these people right here, these saints. They were bodily resurrected. Um and so in John six forty, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. First Corinthians uh, 1552, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, uh, sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Revelation 25, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And for those that want to look at the crowns, that is uh, the Strong's Greek, 4735 Stephanos, a victor's crown. We can cross-reference. You want to, can you cross-reference uh, Revelation 2.10? One second here. Revelation 2.10, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. The crown of life. This is also the Greek Stephanos, victor's crown. Okay. Victor's crown. So he's telling these people that are faithful to him, he will bring he will bring to be with him in eternal paradise, right? Right. So that's the same as these twenty four elders. Okay, Revelation 4, 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Hmm. Okay, this is our tabernacle 
symbology. This is, this is where we go into the Old Testament and we study the tabernacle and what it means uh, to Revelation. This is telling us that we are in the holy place. And when we go back and look at our Exodus notes, uh, I'm not sure where I put them. Over here. Okay, we go back to Exodus 25, 32, and six branches shall come out of the sides of it, and three branches of the candlestick on one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. And Exodus 40, 22, and he put the table in the tent of congregation, this is the holy place, upon the side of the tabernacle northward without the veil, and he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord. And he put the candlestick in the tent of congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southward. So southward. what's the significance to southwardly? Southward. So when we look at the, the pattern of the tabernacle, which for anybody that's not, not sure what we're talking about here, um, when God's people were traversing the wilderness, they had a mobile temple, a tent, that was for the presence, the Shekinah glory of God in the um, Ark of the Covenant. And so it was not a temple of stone, it was a temple of tents, and it had an outer courtyard fenced off. So when you came to this courtyard, if you wanted to enter into the tabernacle, you came from the east. The opening to the temple Either the stone temples, the entrance to the tabernacle, it's always on the east side, always situated east. So when you entered into this courtyard, you came immediately to one of the pieces of furniture that's part of the, the tabernacle system, and that would be the altar of burnt sacrifices. So there's a symbology here. When you're on the outside of this fence, this means you're an unbeliever. You're, you know, you're the, you're a Gentile. You, you know, you you have no place with Jesus yet. You come to the altar of burnt sacrifice in the in the Levitic system. That is where the priests would take your sacrifice and burn it up. For us today, as a Christian, this represents Jesus at Calvary on the cross. This represents Jesus being. Our sacrifice, his, his once and for all sacrifice to end sin and to bring salvation to us is the altar of burnt sacrifice. You proceed westward from this point straight ahead. The next piece of furniture you come to is the bronze lavar. This would have been where the priests in the Levitical system would have been ceremonially clean to enter the temple. For us as Christians today, this represents water baptism. Right. So, so we we've believed on Jesus in the cross. We've come to the next station in salvation, which is baptism. Right. Where we publicly, <clears throat> we publicly where we publicly identify as believers in Christ. We, we that's profess we profess Him as our Savior. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, we're still on a straight line westward. Now, now we are believers. We're inside the fence line. You know, we're not we're not perfected, but we're there. Right. So now we're going to work our way to the holy place, which means we're going to enter 
the door into the holy place. We're still going westward. So as soon as we come through that door, we look to our right, which is north. And here we find the table of showbread. Mm -hmm. Um, That is humongously important for everything that we're doing right now. Now, what does bread represent to us in the Bible? Bread represents, uh, first thing that comes to my mind is during communion, the body of Christ. And the word of God. Word of God. Our daily bread. Yep, both of those are correct, but for this particular uh, study, it is the word of God. The bread. Thou shall not live on bread alone and all this. So... We're at, we have the table of, the sh- of showbread to the right side. Exodus tells us that across from that, on the south side, was a seven-branch candlestick. And then back center to the west, we have the altar of burnt or uh, the altar of incense. This represents our prayer and supplication, rising up to God in a, mm. a sweet aroma. Sweet aroma. Sweet aroma. So. And then, once you proceed, you go through west, through the veil, you find the Ark of the Covenant. And this is, uh, you know, those that abide by God's law are now his covenant people, right? right? So, and upon the Ark is the mercy seat. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you can envision, and if I've explained this correctly for everybody, you come from the east, you come in a straight, if you go in a straight line, you hit... Altar of burnt sacrifice, bronze lavar, altar of incense, Ark of the Covenant, right in a straight line, east to west. But intersecting that from north to south, you have the table of showbread to the candlesticks. And that forms the cross. That forms a cross. This is the path to salvation. Um so the and of course the the candlesticks are the churches, the saints, the light of the world, the evangelism, the to going out there and, and showing God's light to people. Right now, the table of showbread. Remember, we said that John was in prayer on the Lord's day. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. That's the Sabbath in the in the tabernacle system. The Levitical priests came in once a week. To change out the bread on the table, which would have been on the Sabbath. That was, they weren't tending, you know, to everything, but they had to come in and tend to the word, tend to the bread that was on that table on the Sabbath. So see how that's pointing a, a picture. Right from the beginning, on the Lord's Day, he's already talking about, in a roundabout sense, he's giving us a clue that we're talking about the table of showbread. We're talking mm-hmm. about God's word here. Right. Um I lost my glasses for a second. Where is my current page? Sorry, everybody, I lost my page. Oh, no, that ain't it. Well, okay, well... Okay, so I lost the page, but we're at... Oh, no, I'm, I have it. I'm, I'm so sorry, everybody. I told you this was going to be rough. <laughs> I, I'm not so great at this, but I am, I'm bringing you some information here, though, I promise. And so, read this again, Revelation 4, 5. Okay. 
Revelation 4 or 5, flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay. Wow. Does this tell us a ton? Think about what we just learned. Out of the throne. Mm. Out of the throne. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. What's before the throne? The candlesticks are on the south side. Directly opposed across from it is the table of showbread. The throne is God's word in this in this prophetic verse. The throne is the table of showbread. Follow? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're at the holy place on the table of showbread. Now, why is why is that interesting? Check this out. Let's go to Isaiah 14, 12. And we're going to proceed to 14, 14. Do you want to take that one? Yeah. Read uh, 12 through 14. Mm-hmm. Okay. Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast in thine heart said, in thy heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. You hear me go on to 15, did you say? Well, and, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. So where does Satan want to put his throne? He wants... In the, it says in the, in, in the Mount of the Congregation, in the sides of the north. In the sides of the north. The sides of the north are the table of showbread, God's oh, wow. word. Yeah. He wants to be like the most high. He wants to... Sit upon the Mount of Congregation in the sides of the north. That's the throne. That's the throne. Uh, and again, Exodus 40, 22, and he put the table in the tent of congregation upon the side of the tabernacle northward. Oh, every sat, and this is uh, Leviticus 24, 5. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Uh, Two-tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by everlasting covenant. So, again, we see this is the Sabbath. We're working on the table of showbread. Over and over, this keeps pointing back to the table of mm-hmm. showbread. But what's, what's interesting here, and this is um, neither here nor there you know, for this study, but this is good for all these people that say, oh, the Bible's been tampered with. Oh, Jubilees and Maccabees and Enoch and Yasher and all these things are part of the Bible and they've been taken out by men and it's been tampered with. And No, what does it say? Two rows of six. 
There's two stacks of six, 66 books in the Bible. This is on the table of showbread. Scripture literally tells us in symbology that we have 66 books to the Bible, and it's exactly the way the Lord wants it to be. Amen. Okay, moving on. We've established that we are now dealing with the table of showbread, the God's word in the holy place of the sanctuary. Very important stuff, exciting stuff, I think. Revelation 4, 6, in part. This one, this is not germane to our study, but it's just something of interest. So, Revelation 4, 6, And before the throne there was a sea of glass um, like unto crystal. There was a sea of glass. What can this sea of glass be? Genesis 1, 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So when we look at Revelation, keeping this in mind, is that the firmament? Is this sea of glass, the, the, our atmosphere, or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, it could be. Dividing us, right? And so in Revelation 4.3, and he that sat... Um, was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in the sight like unto an emerald. Hmm. An emerald. He's glowing in green. Is it possible? You know where I'm going with this. I know where you're going with this. You know where I'm going with this. Is it possible that when people go to see the aurora borealis, you're actually seeing the glory of God's throne coming through the the firmament? People say it's the most beautiful thing you'll ever see, which is what you'd expect out of God's throne. People travel from all over the world to see this and are captivated by it. And most of the time it's green. You know, sometimes you see a little blue or whatever, but it's mostly green. So this isn't, you know, nobody's yeah. nobody's getting doctrinal about this. Nobody's saying this is a fact. It's just a what if. It's something to consider. You know, maybe. It's one of our rabbit holes. Yeah, it's just it's just a maybe, but you know, I don't know. I think so. Okay, Revelation 4, 6, the second part. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. All the dreaded four beasts. This is, this is, this is where stuff really starts getting fun. Uh, a beast. The Strong's Greek, 2226, Zoon. A living being, but higher in statue than a man or an animal. Hmm. Hmm. Living, living being, but in higher stat, higher stature than a man or an animal. So, notice the eyes. First of all, just before we even notice the eyes, they're front, back, and all around, right? Mm-hmm. Before and behind. What would that indicate? That you can see in every direction. Right. See in every direction. I'm the one that was, that is, and that is to come. I can see the beginning from the end. I can see everything. Hmm. The fullness of time, which God, of course, is outside of. We're, we're locked into time. He's not. But he can see the fullness of time. 360. So these eyes all the way around there are saying that 
This can see everywhere. Right. Past, present, future. And there's a reason he keeps saying that. Revelation 4, 7. And the beast was like a lion. And the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a, four, uh, a flying eagle. So we're, we're to believe that in heaven, when we stand around the throne, there's monsters and so forth, right? With eyes all over the place and mm -hmm. all kinds of crazy faces and stuff like that. Yeah, not little fat cherubims. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> when, we go to, when we go to Numbers uh, 2, it gives us a camp layout for the tabernacle system. And when they move that tabernacle around, they had all the 12, 12 tribes with them, right? Mm -hmm. And they had to be arranged. And they arranged them somewhat in a military fashion or whatnot. But they had, they had very strict instructions from God on how they were to encamp around the tabernacle system. So imagine the tabernacle is a square. Boom, put that down. No troops... And we're not going to read all of this scripture because you have to go into all kinds of different places to get all this. And this was already going to be a really long study. It'll probably be nine hours or something. <laughs> but just the Cliff Notes version. Nobody's allowed to camp on the northeast or the southwest or only the four cardinal points. Right. North, south, east, and west. North, south, east, and west, four. In Bible prophecy, usually equates to being worldwide everywhere. It's all, all across the globe or whatever. But in here, you can only go north, south, east, and west. The tribes were broken up in a special way, according to Scripture. So, on the east side, we had the camp of Judah. This is as you're reporting. Judah... Let me see here. Was, uh, had 186,400 men. Okay? Mm -hmm. The camp of Judah included the tribes of Zebulon, Issachar, and Judah. 186,400. They could only camp as wide as the tabernacle courtyard was. Oh, okay. So they could only stretch away from it. So the width of the tabernacle, back east. Okay. In a column. Right. Now, when you go to the north, you end up with uh, the camp of Dan, which consisted of Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. 157,600 people. When you come over to the west, you have the camp of Ephraim. 108,100 people. Uh, and this would be Manasseh, Benjamin included. Then you come over to the west and you have the camp of Reuben, which was with Simeon and Gad. 151,400. So once you break this down, what did you end up with? A cross. Another, cross. another cross. Right. So the outside of the encampments, along with the path into the tabernacle, is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ and salvation. Now, here's where it gets fun. Each one of these three tribe camps had a guide on or, a, you know, an identifier. A, a, they called it a standard. 
a flag with a symbol right. on it. A symbol on it. So what was Judah's? The lion. Dan. The eagle. Ephraim, excuse me, the ox. <laughs> and Reuben, the man. Can you remind me, what, what do those four remind you of? Of the... The what? What are they? The beast in in, in Revelation? No, the, the four living creatures. The four living creatures. That's what I meant. The four living creatures. So we have a direct tie to these encampments. The the these prophetic visions of the lion, calf, man, and eagle are the camps. Right. That's now, awesome. Now theologians will argue over which one is which, but these camps in this system equate to the Gospels. <clears throat> Standard thinking is that Judah is Matthew, Dan is John, Ephraim is Mark, and Reuben is Luke. So who are these living creatures that have eyes, front and back? It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. These aren't monsters, these aren't animals. These four living creatures are, are the Gospel, the Word of God. We're standing by the table of showbread. We're in the holy place. Are you tracking? Yeah, that's all. That's so awesome. Um, so and now we come down to this part. This is this this is where this is where it really starts whacking people. The other part of this verse is, and the four beasts had each of them six wings. Six wings. So everybody would automatically go to Isaiah 6-2. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. So a seraphim. When we do a little word study on that in the Strong's Hebrew is 8314. It means a burning one or a fiery one. Um, so is my word not like a fire? Hmm. So this is an, this is an important place that we come to when we start thinking about Old Testament versus New Testament. This is depicting these things as, is like a seraphim angel, right? Right. A lot of times when we read our Old Testament scripture, we get something that's literal, but when it's used again in the in the New Testament, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. So, great case in point. Old Testament, we have a real flesh and blood Jezebel. She's a person. Right. But in Revelation, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Jezebel was long gone by the time the churches came about. Right. She's she. They were talking about spiritual. So, spirit. And so, when you see something like this, you you're like, okay, well, what did Jezebel do exactly? And you go back and you back reference and you you look at the story of Jezebel. Well, in Isaiah, he's talking about these seraphim angels. Now it's been used figuratively or spiritually in Revelation. It's not. This is not a seraphim angel standing here. These these are the gospels. But what was a seraphim doing? A seraphim was a throne guardian mm. right they were there they were throne guardians so 
if we determined that the table of showbread, the sides of the north, is the throne here, what is guarding it? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ hmm. is the throne guardian. This is the one that goes throughout the world in the four directions. Remember the four camps, northeast, four is worldwide. It has eyes in front and back. It, the gospels tell us what happened, what was happening, what's going to happen. That is the throne guardian. And that is how it, it equates it to that seraphim angel. And you remember somewhere in there, and I thought I would have put this in here, but oh yeah, I did. Um, in Isaiah 6-7, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Oh. So, the you know, what what leads us? What brings us to salvation? What leads us to being purified? The gospel. The gospels. So this is not an angel. This is not a monster. The, the four living creatures are, in fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you good with that? Yeah, I'm, with that? I mean, I'm good with it. Okay. Now, Revelation 4, 8. And they were full of eyes within, and rest not day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, and is, and is to come. Um... Uh, okay, here we go. Luke fifteen seven. So keep in mind, keep in mind this saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Luke fifteen seven. Can you read that for us? Yeah. One second. Fifteen seven. <clears throat> Luke fifteen seven. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven. Over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons, which need no repentance. And uh, fifteen ten. Likewise, I say, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. I love that. I love those verses. Mm -hmm. So the gospel. It doesn't rest. It never sleeps. It's there 24-7, always doing its work. It's doing one thing, to shed the light of Jesus Christ to people. And it's saying, Jesus is holy, Jesus is holy, Jesus is holy, Jesus is holy. We've been taught to believe that we're seeing an actual movie, a clip of a movie in heaven where there are monsters and they do nothing 24-7, but holler, holy, 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 holy. And that's what's going on all day. But I say no. But when they're they're saying holy, holy, holy is because they're out testifying, they're out witnessing to Jesus Christ around the world all the time. That that's why they're saying holy, holy, holy. And every time when people are erupting in this throne room scene, it's because there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one lost soul being found. What a what a beautiful vision. So all this rejoicing that we're seeing in this particular area is because the Gospels are doing their work and they're saving people. That's, I'm not going to say that there aren't beings and angels and stuff that are worshiping 
God and singing and and do, I'm not saying of that. Not. But this particular vision just it makes you just think there's a bunch of monsters sitting there singing all day long, and and God is just sitting on a throne listening to them sing all day. Right. It could be it could be perceived like that. I yeah. See that. And so, um, and you know, like I said, that might go on, but this is not what this is talking about. And again, Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord. Mm. His word is a fire. These seraphim, the throne guardians that are using the word to purify in the Old Testament. Jeremiah five fourteen. Wherefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people were uh, wood, and it shall devour them. Jeremiah 29, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Okay, are you ready to... If we establish this, do you feel like this was understandable? Is there um, any questions? Do you think that... I think it was understandable, you know, um... There might be some listeners who may have to listen to this a couple times. Yeah. But I, I feel that as far as what we're trying to do, I feel we're, I feel we're on right on schedule. Okay. Let's go into Revelation 5, shall we? Yep. Okay. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside and sealed with seven seals. Um, oh, okay, so first of all, he's holding the book, it's sealed. That means it is not yet to be known, right? Right. And go back to Daniel, what did he say? Seal up the words of this book until the times of the end. Which I believe, I believe those seals have been broken now. And we can understand what, what those prophecies were about. But this harkens back to that. Daniel... Uh, seal up the words in this book. Right. But right now we're going to look at Ezekiel 2.5. And they, whether they will or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet they shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written... Within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. So we have precedent that the, this book is full around there, right? Right. Um, it's sealed. It means it's a, a mystery of future prophecy being withheld till a certain time and event. All prophecy has an indicated. It has a. It has a proof point somewhere, except for the ones that haven't already happened. Right. You know, and so for some people. I'm a historicist is where I've come down, where I believe, I do believe some of these, and I believe I can show you the events that some of these things have happened, but some of them happened. You have preterists that believe all of this has already happened, and Jesus has already returned, and then you have futurists that believe it's all coming. Mm. None of it's happened, and we're still waiting on all of it, Um, but... For every generation, this this book is for everyone. And so from from my perspective, these prophecies have to have a little something 
for every era going right. forward, right? It right. has to have signposts for all of us in, in some way, shape, or form. So it's sealed. So Rev or so verse two, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming the uh, with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? Now, that one jumped out at me. A strong angel. So this one, this is like, okay, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Why, why are we calling this a strong angel? And then it occurred to me. Zechariah 3.1 And he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. So this strong angel in this scene is none other than Satan himself. Why is, and as we'll read further down in this, John is weeping. There's nobody. They can open it. He's all upset. Why is he so upset? Because the accuser, mm. the accuser is standing there and he is standing before the throne of God saying, I won. You don't have anybody. I killed your Messiah. I won. And for this brief moment, John's like, oh no. You know, they're thinking, right. oh no. But like, you know, Chuck Missler, I'm sure you're familiar with Chuck Missler. He he would say this a lot, and I always thought it was funny. Um, but he would say, and stuff like this, he was like, I always imagine, you know, God's sitting there, and he's surrounded by his angels, and Satan pulls something like this, and he kind of leans over one of the angels and elbows him and says, watch this one. <laughs> right. Watch this one. Well, watch this one is right. You know, Satan, Satan's not going to win here, but th but this strong angel is Lucifer accusing in the throne room. Um Revelation 1 5, and the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed uh, to open the book and loosen the seals thereof. Um, just for people on the, the root of David, Isaiah 11 1, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Um, and I, Isaiah 11 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. Uh, and it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And then we come to Revelation 1.6. And behold, and lo, in the midst of the thrones of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Mm. Well, that tells us a whole bunch of stuff too. First, let me remind you, in Revelation 1, Jesus is girt about the paps with a girdle, and he's our high priest. This is after the cross. We're time traveling in this vision. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Because okay. You're right. Yep. We're going back in time real quick from where we started at. Um. So it isn't Jesus, per se, that cracks the seals open. It's Jesus taking the cross for our sins and resurrecting that cracks the seal. Okay, I can this follow that. This tells us a ton. The seals can only be cracked after the Lamb has come. This puts us in a total alignment of what these seals are going to mean is because of his crucifixion so what happens after that his church is founded right right 
Um, but here's another interesting. This is a cross reference for everybody. So when we go to when we go to the book of Ruth, look what happens. You can find this in Ruth four two, and and forward. But I'll just I'll just cliff notes this because this is getting long in the tooth. Jesus is standing in the midst of the elders right here. You go back to Ruth and Boaz. 